Hi, everyone. It's Raghu Marcus, and I'm back with Ramdas here and now. And this uh, excerpt from a talk that he did at Rhinebeck, which was at Omega in uh, July of 1992. And I'll get to a little bit of description in a minute. I just want to announce uh, that we have been doing this wonderful series called the Soul Land Music Series, Songs and Stories Inspired by Ram Dass. And every Sunday at 5 o'clock Pacific and 8 o'clock Eastern, you can tune into the Ram Dass Instagram channel and uh, just... uh, some amazing artists and musicians. We've had uh, Trevor Hall. We've had Jai Utah. We've had Simrit. And uh, this Sunday night, we are hosting Jonavi Harrison. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Jonavi is, she has the most exquisite voice. And she sings Kirtan. And she has a bav that is extraordinary and meaning of a real connection to her heart expression of spiritual mood, which is a definition of bav. So please do tune in. Uh, music, of course, was tremendously important. Ram Dass bought, brought back after he came back from India in 1968-9, uh, uh, he brought back the original chant, some of which we still do. And he would say, music is a, is a tremendous vehicle for opening the heart. And, and that's uh, just very much part of the legacy that we brought back from India and being with Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji. So, and you can look forward, uh, the Sunday next after that is going to be Krishna Das. So, very much looking forward to having him on. And if you go to ramdas.org slash music, you'll see all of the upcoming um, Sunday night concerts. And there's stories associated with them too. So, it's a combination of music and uh, chat. And... You'll be able to also take a listen to what you might have missed. So there you go. That's the Instagram Soulland Music Series live. Let's see. Ramdas, this talk was called the Domain of Spirit. There's one thing in it that really, he, you know, he comes up with these fantastic uh, little nuggets of putting words together. And there's one thing in here. The liquidity of time. Isn't that great? It just sounds great. But it, it, it allows for a little bit more spaciousness than the heated moment of which we have so many on a day-to-day basis. It's hard to get into that spacious liquidity, isn't it? And when we do move into that moment of presence somehow we find ourselves back in familiar territory, he calls it, which is the habitual self-definition of separateness. Isn't that the killer for us all in every aspect of life, from what's going on politically in this country and what's going on uh, economically in this country and what's going on in many different aspects of polarization that is happening to us and our actions are quite transparently involved 
and that separateness is when uh, I'm saying familiar territory, boy, is it ever. And so he poses the question, what does it take to fully transform so that we no longer fall victim to our sense of separateness and can swim and dance with it all without getting trapped, entrapped by it? Uh, yeah, what does it take? It takes a real perspective of, uh, as he called it, loving awareness. It takes practice on a day-to-day basis. It takes humility. It takes patience. It takes love and compassion starting with ourselves and then everybody else around us. Um, Yeah. He said something else. He talks about, and and to me, this is a primary reason why the, uh, for the power of community, power of satsang, sangha, and he talks about the cathartic experience, experience of sharing our image of ourselves with each other. And we can start to see a lot of commonality around the thought patterns and the belief in our stories that are so similar from one person to another. And once that starts to happen, there's less of this sort of private malaise of oh my God, I'm really nuts, or oh God, that thought, and oh my, you know, that kind of thing. It just takes the, uh, it takes the sting out of it. And of course, that with a little bit of humor is, uh, can be really redemptive. And then forgetting, we all forget. Every, I mean, you just have, sit and meditate and see how fast you forget being in the moment with your breath or a mantra or whatever it may be. And then you have, of course, there's always the chance to come back. And yeah, Ram Dass puts it in a, in a fun way. Forgetting is great because it's fun to come back and remember. It's such fun to remember. <laughs> uh, now there's one particular thing and uh, you know everyone who's been listening to Ramdas how I like to highlight some of the things that really are meaningful for me and I am into the repetitive nature of uh, of it all so uh, you have to have patience because I think it is something good for us to look out for particular teachings and then let them repeat a little bit um and this is something that I found with Ramdas from the absolute earliest, earliest days, from the get-go. And it's around being human and allowing ourselves to screw up and not have all of the guilt and shame and uh, judgment that we, we have going on uh, when we see our, when we trip up. And he says here, uh, which is, I love this. I no longer feel blame towards myself for those situations that are too strong for me to transform. It seems perfectly okay for me to say, this one, I just can't work with right now. I'll work with it another day. Isn't that give relief, give a little bit more expansiveness 
or a little bit of the liquidity that he talked that we mentioned before. It's okay to screw up. It's okay that we can't flesh out. Let's say we're having um, a bad time with another person that we just can't get on the same page. Could be a wives and husbands and partners and uh, children, workplace, whatever it may be. It happens all the time. And we, we want to get to closure and it just doesn't seem to be able to happen and we feel bad for ourselves. We feel bad that we couldn't bring it to a place where it has closure, where there has understanding. And um, I no longer feel blamed towards myself for situations that are too strong for me to transform in the moment. I mean, that is a powerful thing. It really is. Uh, and uh, did you ever hear him talk? You know, this, this, there's that great Aso story with the Japanese monk. I'm not going to get into the story, everybody, so you'll listen in, but it's, uh, it's that total acceptance of the moment. It's a fantastic story. And it could be a mantra. It is a mantra. Aso, you check, just bounce. Oh, okay. Oh, we just got a bad diagnosis, health diagnosis. Aso. Just being in the moment, which is really what Ram Das is all about. What else here? I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's so many great lines that he has. Things to contemplate, like when you listen to this piece, the practice of compassionate action draws us out of ourselves, and uh, which reminds me, because uh, we're going to have a an online course in October uh, around service, seva, and compassionate action, social action. So the practice of compassionate action draws us out of ourselves. We stop thinking about the mini-me, I call it, all the time. So compassionate action, that's a, a very, very powerful uh, practice. Um, the cultural myth of independence. But if this is so rich, free to be alone, but instead of the you know, the myth of in independence. We are free to be alone. But instead of the great aloneness, like this, the mendicant being in a cave completely fulfilled, instead of that, we feel lonely. And there are many ways to be alone. And to embrace a myth that acts as if we aren't interdependent is dysfunctional. So, yeah, there's a lot in here about uh, separateness and getting out of that uh, the habitual self-definition of that, which we have when we tell ourselves these stories, and it's based on fear. And uh, I'll just, uh, the last thing that I just loved what he said here is we are all part of the family of compassion. We are all part of that family. And we can have faith and trust in that. No matter what, how angry we become with each other, how much we screw up with each other, if we go back to that 
we are it's a we are a family and it's a family of compassion coming from someone like Ramdas who that's all he was when he was in that body so the domain of spirit Ramdas this is Ramdas here and now and uh, thank thank you everybody for being here check out every all the other wonderful podcasts that we have on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. We have a wonderful new podcast with uh, Conda Mason, a fantastic spiritual teacher associated with Jack Cornfield at Spirit Rock and involved in been involved in racial justice uh, for a long time and is eloquent and just an absolutely beautiful human being. Just came out. Check her out, Conda Mason. And we shall see you next week. Thank you. This week you, I suspect, saw the liquidity of time, how moments felt like hours and at times hours felt like moments, and six and a half days passed. It's as if you and I are learning how to swim, and we keep coming back to land, to touch down, to be with a familiar limits of our the earth on which we're familiar with walking and we're still developing our dolphin-esque qualities our ability to be at home in the water of the great perfection the pure awareness it's interesting that it's when you have built such a habitual structure of self-definition on this plane of reality on earth to awaken to the realization that it's beautiful being just what it is and that there are places you can see it from that turn it from being a kind of a burdensome weight to being a delightful play. That at first the journey starts where you are on the normal waking consciousness plane and you touch, you come into a kind of spacious awareness that's quiet and clear and you see it all and you're, there's no doing, there's no coming, there's no going, there's just... And then something causes you to grab or fixate and you're suddenly in familiar territory back in the model of your separateness. And you say, I got high and I came down. And that's a model you impose from your habitual self-definition of separateness. So what does it take to bring about the full transformation so that you don't come back to that? You don't reject it. You dance in your separateness without being entrapped by it. How can you transform where you stand or don't stand so that you, there is no home to come to? It's all just the play of form.
all of the spiritual practices move you in the direction of becoming familiar and at home in what is often called the domain of the spirit, which includes all of this, but seen from a slightly different point of view. And as you've noticed this week, while you've all been extraordinarily open to the variety of practices that have been offered, you can feel that you have, because of where you're starting from, your karmic predicament, a proclivity, an attraction towards one form more than another. For some of you, the kind of metaphysical reflection, thinking about the nature of self or things like that, right on just excites you immensely and keeps taking you to the edge. Somebody else singing, Om Namah Shivaya, brings you into, through the softness of the heart, into a, that quality of spacious moment presence. For another person, the exploring the ways in which you are um, attached to thought, feeling, role, model, the kind of cathartic experience of sharing image of self with each other, the grieving and acknowledging and being with stuff of life has allowed you to relax, release, open. For still others, just the meditative opening into spacious awareness, simply given through the relaxed state of being is what touched you most deeply. What we come away from is hearing our own unique journey, respecting the uniqueness of others and their journeys. And be, being careful not to get too enamored of even your path, but rather become free. How many moments when you, quote, leave Omega or whoever that is that thinks they're doing that, how many moments in the journey between what you think is here and what you think is there, will there be moments, a moment, a pet, a moment of, ah, oh, a moment of, of appreciating a tree, a flower, a moment, a predicament, the poignancy, the humor, the flow, the emptiness, the sweetness, the fullness. How many moments? How much will one get identified with thought of planning? How will my life change? 
The best practice to be free is to be free. That's the practice. Is to just, if per some strange chance, you should happen to get lost into your drama sometime in the future again. (laughs) Don't. That forgetting is great because it's such fun to remember. And let it come to pass that the forgetting is the remembering. Uspensky, who was a student of Gurdjieff, used to describe how he would go walking and he would try to be mindful and he would keep witnessing his own behavior, and he'd say, Uspensky is walking down the street. Uspensky is turning left. Uspensky is noticing the sweetness of the weather. And he was just so mindful until he saw his tobacconist's shop, and he remembered he needed pipe tobacco. Two days later, he remembered he had been doing an experiment. At first, you go under and it seems so real again. And you forget you ever knew that it wasn't real. And the moments you tasted freedom seem like dreams. And then as time goes on, it gets so that you're more comfortable remaining in a more spacious way of being in the universe that allows more planes of reality to simultaneously exist. And you arrive, you're so rooted in the quality of being, in the in just presence, that as your awareness starts to be drawn out into phenomena and you start to grab the thickness of coming into that density of relationship with form and being in a finite form, somebody doing something, wanting something, thinking something, planning something, remembering something, that thickness itself awakens you. It's as if you dive from air into water and as the thickness of the water, you feel that resistance. It awakens you of, oh, and you come back out. It's what the beads do. You're roaming your way along, so spacious, and then another car cuts you off. (laughs) And you are full of righteous indignation. And you're doing the beads ferociously, but there's no rom. There's just, 
goddamn bastard, he shouldn't have done that. What kind of a thing is that? Son of a bitch, I'll get you. And you're going like, you know. And then at some moment, that pressure on the finger, there's a little bit of reminder and there's a, a kind of a weak rum that sneaks up through the anger and righteous indignation. And slowly the method works and you come back into, wow, that was like a summer storm. Whew. Boy, didn't that anger seem real. It's just hard to conceive how in the midst of all of the, of what is, the suffering, the pain, the hope and the hopelessness, the uncertainty, the decay, the corruption, the regeneration, in, in the thickness of all of it, what one can be not rejecting anything, embracing it all into a spacious presence in which there is delight in the universe. And a quality of um, rootedness or quietness and an embracing of everything as one thing that out of that comes the compassionate next moment out of it arises an action many of us are afraid that if we get too free of our indignation or are upset about the condition of things, we won't do what's necessary to write it. But there's another place to play from. Newspaper clipping. Out of the tragedy and misery of the devastating cyclone in Bangladesh came the story of a breathtaking rescue of a child Abdullah al-Haman told reporters that a dolphin took hold of the baby who had been swept out to sea at the village of Yukia by a tidal wave during the height of the April 29th cyclone. The baby was delivered back to shore 18 miles from Yukia, where people took the child from the dolphin's mouth, took it to a district hospital where the infant was said to be well. Do you think the dolphin, what do you think the dolphin thought? <laughs> he just wanted to get his name in the papers, probably. <laughs> That's what his mother told him to do what, yes, from an early age. <laughs> He could be the best dolphin.
Now there are there are moments when because you're among satsang or you're the sangha or you're in a spacious safe place or there's time free time you can very easily find your way into your deeper truths truth of your being and there are other times when it will appear to you that the universe is so repulsive or attractive fascinating that you will feel yourself you feel yourself you'll feel somebody getting caught in something it's interesting to know on the journey what your limits are and to define the boundaries that you need while you need boundaries. Ultimately, you will need no boundaries. And maybe the ultimate is now. But there are certain relationships that you will enter into in which that mindfulness and awareness and spaciousness that we have cultivated this week and the kind of devotional love of the beauty of the manifestation of another being will be hard tried by the power of the other person's mind and the power of the ways in which your mutual needs interact. And then it'll become very thick and you either will have enough cultivation of space to be able to be mindful at that moment and to transform that into something much more spacious and more truthful and more open and more free or you won't and i feel no blame towards myself any longer for those situations that are too strong for me to transform it seems perfectly okay for me to say this one I can't work with just now. I'll work with it another day. I don't think you have to push against yourself that way. I think there is a, an emerging awareness and mindfulness and joy and delight that consumes into itself things if you'll just give it space and time to do it, if you'll be patient. And when something's a little too heavy, you may have to stay in it, in which then it is a fire of purification. And you'll keep going under and coming up and going under and knowing that there's a surface there somewhere, but you'll be drowning. And that just the unbearable nature of it in your finiteness blows you apart and you suddenly are back here. Trauma is a very profound vehicle for awakening. When you are put in a situation where you are invited to bear what is unbearable, and what happens is like the loss of somebody you love, and you realize that who you think you are can't bear it, 
and it forces a connection to the deeper part of being where all is and it's all bearable, even what isn't bearable. Sometimes the saints, the beings who have become enlightened are called the living dead. And that has something to do with the fact that the limits of being somebody and thinking they are somebody have died. And the person who says, this is unbearable, I can't stand this, isn't there anymore. And they can look just at what is in the universe, including the breaking of the heart over and over and over again. To be able to contain in your being the immensity of the pain, the immensity of the beauty, And to rest with all of that so in your being that your actions reflect a wisdom that comes from emerging with it all. So that the, the child in Africa or the person that's mentally disturbed or the person that is frightened, or, it's all in here. Truth waits for eyes unclouded by longing. The longing for peace, the longing for people to be other than they are, prevents you from seeing what is. To see what is includes your longing for peace includes your wishing that people would be more kind to one another. Includes the actions of your own heart. But don't be afraid to set boundaries. As the Marines say, what you can change, change, and what you can't, paint. I love that. That's the second time this week. <laughs> to look at life, as Emmanuel has suggested, as a curriculum and look at the predicament you find yourself in just the way it is, just, just the way it is. Not with if only, but just the way, including the if only. That part of you that says, I could really, if only, if only, if only, include that too. 
just look at the way in which the manifestation is occurring on earth that's called, you call me. Look at it as an exquisitely articulated, evolving statement of the divine awakening to its divinity. Hmm. The world is going to get more and more unstable in world level stuff. Economically, politically, socially, ecologically. And what this week is about is seeing the possibility that one can ride the waves of change without being wiped out by them. I was sitting, I live in San Francisco, I was sitting in an earthquake recently, which in San Francisco, that's not unusual. And I was, I was sitting in an earthquake recently and things were flying off the shelf and doors were flying open. And I didn't know whether the, the land would open up and me and the house and all of it would be a memory. And I remember thinking, ah, ah. So, here we go. It's the girl in the village that has a love affair with a fisherman and she becomes pregnant and she doesn't want to admit it was a fisherman, so she says it was the monk up in the monastery. So when the baby's born, they take the villagers, take the baby to the monastery and they knock at the gate. And the monk opens the gate and they say, here's a baby, you are the sire of it, you raise it. And the monk said, ah, so. <laughs> and he took the baby and closed the gate. Some years later. I am the monk. So, some years later, just stick to your lines. Stick to your lines. Some I actually think he's I, the fisherman. <laughs> there's, there's only one person in the story anyway. So some years later, the girl was dying and she didn't want to die without confessing that it was, the, was not the monk, it was the fisherman, which she did and the townspeople really realized they had made a mistake and so they went up and they knocked at the gate and the gate was opened and there stood the monk with the child who was now nine years old, ten years old. And the people said, we really made a mistake and it is not your responsibility to raise the child and now we will be happy to take care of the child. And the monk said, Ah, uh, so... <laughs> So I invite you, if you're looking for a mantra, try that one. Ah, so. Ah, so. Your check just bounced. Ah, so. Transmission fell out of your car. Ah, so. Ah, so. Try the little ones first. Before you get to, ah, dying of a terrible disease, ah, so. 
See, you don't laugh, do you? See? Gotcha. Gotcha where you live, see? see? I'll wait. <laughs> Dying is no laughing matter. Huh. Maybe a cosmic giggle or two, but that's all right. such an adventure to keep to remember and to forget and to remember more and to just play with the naturalness of it all and realize after years and years of pushing and ought and should and how much of a failure you are and you're not high enough and all of that to start to just appreciate just the way it is. For those of you that really appreciate touching the qualities of the compassion of your heart, but find that the circumstances tend to make you protect your heart, I encourage you to just look around where you are and listen and find a way in which you can reach out to be there for someone else that the practice of kindness, of compassionate action, is something that draws you out of yourself. I find that because of what I have projected out, people will come to me and present something extremely pressing and profound and deep, quickly, like the loss of a child or something like that. And I can be standing there filled with my own self stuff, inadequacy, arrogance, insecurity, studying, planning, whatever it is. And I find that the realness of their demand on my heart demands that I let go. It pulls me out of myself. And I think that the opportunity to be with children in a way that is reaching out to be with elders, to be with the sick, to be with people in any way disadvantaged, to be with people just, it pulls you out of yourself. It pulls you into yourself. It pulls you into the deeper truth of your being. Because at that point, what can you offer that other person other than the purest thing you have to offer? How could you offer any less? How could you do it? I mean, for me, being in the Seva Foundation, for example, because of the nature of what a foundation that is there to try to relieve a little suffering is like, you become much more aware of the massive nature of suffering. And the reactions to that, at first, it's so overwhelming, you want to hide. You want to go into denial again. And then... You keep with, you hold hands with each other and you get so that you can stay open facing the inability of you to take away all suffering. Most people are afraid that if they look at what is, they will break. It'll be too much for you. 
And I would say it is too much for who you think you are. It is not too much for who you are. And so I invite you to, to open to the suffering of the universe, knowing that you can only do what you can do. And that if you do what you can do, but only with a sense of frustration because you can't do more, what you are transmitting with the very thing you are doing is that frustration. While if you're quiet, you see the web of suffering in the universe, you see yourself, you see all the others, you see the web of compassion in the universe. I mean, I get, I'm on the good guy mailing list just like you, and there are hundreds and hundreds of requests for help. And I go through them, and there's no rational way I can decide. No way I can do that. I just feel my way through, and one of them pulls, and one of them doesn't. But I know that that one pulled for me, and that one pulled for someone else. And that we are part of the family of compassion. And I let my responses change from year to year. People say, your membership is up. <laughs> oh my God, no, I'm, I'm bad. Eh? <laughs> I wish it were. <laughs> uh, 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 let yourself just be alive to the moment. One more thought is, is the, the nature and power of community. That because of the myths of the culture, many of us have found ourselves free to be alone and that we have experienced the alienation from others, the cut-offness from others. Instead of the great aloneness, we felt lonely. There are many ways to be alone, many ways. But on the plane of form, however real or unreal that is, we are interdependent. And to embrace a myth that acts as if we aren't is dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. And we are living in a society that has dysfunctional myths. And you and I have been sucked in by them and we've even fed them. Most of what People Magazine represents, for example, is the myth of the individual, the famous individual, the somebody, the somebodies. But how many important somebodies do I know and how much pain are they all in? It's as if we sacrifice beings into our worship of somebodyness. And if you watch the presidents, we give them the power like sacrificial animals. It's like in the old days when they would, they'd make a maiden the queen for a year and then cut her heart out. We do it to presidents. 
you watch them, they turn all kind of weird, you know. <laughs> they like, it's like the, they are the picture of Dorian Gray. So I invite you to examine the myths you live with. And when you see that there is part of the web that has been broken that you are part of with earth, so that it feels strange to go out and sit on the grass and touch the earth or be with a tree or enjoy the rain or walk in the desert or by the ocean. When it's starting to feel alien to you, Feel your way in. Maybe there's a little something to do there to reestablish your part of the web. When you're scared of the woods, when you're afraid, afraid, afraid of the universe, afraid. It's the one of transforming the thems into the us's, into feeling it's all family. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.